Dear advertisers, our audience numbers are garbage, and the road to hell is paved with page views. This is episode 51 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom A. Sacker. Tom, dear advertisers, our audience numbers are garbage. Great headline. I love it. <laughs> Isn't that good? You're good. This is from a piece in Tech Dirt. I love that name, Tech Dirt. Called Traffic is Fake, Audience Numbers are Garbage, and Nobody Knows How Many People See Anything. <laughs> That's pretty unambiguous, wouldn't you say? The whole article's like that. I loved it. I know. It, it, this is really a fabulous article. It adds up to nothing, but it's a fabulous <laughs> article. I just want to read a little bit of it. How many living, breathing human beings really read tech dirt? The truth, the most basic, rarely spoken truth, is that we have no earthly idea. <laughs> of great comfort to advertisers that time. I know it. So... What about this? Internet traffic is half fake and everyone knows as everyone has known it for years, but there's no incentive to actually acknowledge it. The situation is technically improving. 2015 was hailed, quietly, among people who aren't in charge of selling advertising, as a banner year because humans took back the majority. Over the robots. <laughs> Over the robots <laughs> with a stunning 51 and a half share of online traffic. Hooray for that, I guess. And then he goes on to say, well, you know... We don't even know how accurate that 51.5% figure is. It could be way off in either direction. Okay, so what about TV ratings, he goes on. Nielsen was slow to catch up with DVRs, and now the TV industry juggles scattered measurements, including three and seven days of viewing beyond live air, and also constantly complains that the ratings are off, specifically that they are too low. And they might be right in the sense that they are too low by comparison to the garbage ratings from the pre-digital age that everyone eventually embraced as a standard for relative rankings. <laughs> I love that. How big are those audiences really in terms of real living human, human living human bre breathing beings. I don't know and neither do you. YouTube view counts subject to the same fake internet traffic problems. So what about Facebook stats? Everything from impressions to simultaneous video views <laughs> is padded by, the, by the, the most transient of idly scrolling through the newsfeed interactions. Twitter uh, followings and tweet stats dig into the bowels of any list of followers and see how much of it is mindless bots. This is depressing, Tom. Well, it's, it's reality. <laughs> so who does know how big any, uh, a big of an audience they really have? Well, maybe Netflix, Amazon, and other digital subscription services because their paywalls insulate them from the bulk of random bot traffic and their proprietary ecosystems give them the ability to closely monitor all activity. They would. Pr this was the coolest part of this, is why don't they talk about what their stats are? Well... They say because they want to be cagey and they want to maintain some leverage over content creators. Right, right. But he said, you know, my theory is that they don't share it because they would look exceptionally low and exceptionally low to people who are used to these wild, wildly inflated numbers we've become addicted to. So no matter how true they are, they would still look too low compared to the fabulously richly inflated realities we uh, we see um, for most other metrics. It's really amazing. He pulled the curtain back, didn't he? He's pulling the curtain back. Then he says, of course, why does this matter? We all know why. Because advertising is a multi-billion dollar industry. And, w <laughs> and whenever an industry is worth that much, you have to ask, 
Is that because there are a billion dollars of worthwhile transactions happening or because every bloodsucker in a 10 industry radius wanted in on the action? Yeah, no, that was the, <laughs> look, there were two lines in there, that, that particular one. And then the other insight, you know, the key line in the entire article is when he said, all these numbers are actually good for, maybe, is relative comparisons. Right. Because the fact is, you know this, marketers know this, they're all winging it. They've been winging it since the early 1900s when Wanamaker confessed that half the money he spent on advertising was wasted. The right. trouble was, as it is now, he just didn't know which half, mm -hmm. right? So I like how he concludes this thing, and I'll give you something a little radical, uh, and, and maybe it's the future, who knows. He concludes by asking, finally, what can be done about this? Mm -hmm. There's no simple mm -hmm. answer, and maybe no answer at all. Well, mm -hmm. I've got to tell you, I think there is an answer, and it's one that would change everything for everyone's benefit. But no one will want to entertain it because it's risky, it's not easy mm -hmm. to do, and basically, I mean, you have to expose that the wizard is this guy from Kansas that got lost in this balloon. This is what I think should happen. I think media companies should partner with brands. I think we've got it backwards. Instead of brands going to media companies, I think mm -hmm. media companies should go to brands. And then mm -hmm. they should do some kind of pay for performance deal. And the performance being sales. Now, mm -hmm. think about this for a minute. Think about what would happen. The people with the audiences would be in control. Mm -hmm. They'd be on the lookout for products and services that they know would benefit their audiences. I see. So you're, you're saying, in other words, it's not just you say, hey, we're open for business. We've got a big audience. Uh, advertise with us. You're saying, hey, here's what we know about the particulars of our audience. Wouldn't these people really embrace the following goods and services? Why don't we approach those brands? Right. Listen, right. Because we know we can sell a lot of stuff. Mark, that's what retailers do. Do you think Whole Foods just lets anybody put anything they want on the shelf in there? They look mm -hmm. at that product and say, no, this isn't what we think our customers would like. We don't see the benefit in that. We don't see the substance in that. Think about that. what that would do, Mark. All of a sudden, marketers who have nothing of substance to offer these media companies' audiences Mm -hmm. They'd have to go back to executive management and explain that they can't get any media attention because no one sees any value in what they're offering. They'd have to change something to appeal to the audience through the media. Mm -hmm. I think it's revolutionary. Let's do something with that. <laughs> now, isn't one of the reasons why that doesn't happen, I mean, one of the factors that works into the risk, because in the pursuit of scale, and this is something we're going to be talking about in our second topic, in the pursuit of scale, sometimes kind of the unique interests that make my audience better than your audience for product X, brand Y, we don't know what they are, and in fact, they may not even exist, other than the fact that so much scale you know, overwhelms all such niche discussions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and do you know what would happen to all of these companies that have this massive scale, but no one really that has any passion for the brand? They wouldn't would be happen? able, well, they would go out and they would say, sure, we'll do this pay for performance deal. And, and they would flop because they'd be mm -hmm. introducing a product to this mass audience who only a niche portion gives a shit about. 
isn't this, Tom, the, the reason why it's a lot of the kind of mid-tier digital companies that are really having success? Because they are not the biggest, you know, I mean, just one of the, uh, the quotations of one of the pieces we're looking at is from Politico. Now, they have a very specific audience, right? Political wants. Right. But they're an affluent, uh, specific audience. And they can take, and it's not a huge audience, but they can take that audience, uh, big in some terms, but certainly not in relative terms. Right. And they can sell stuff to it that is of interest to them because they know what that audience That's is interested it. in. Because big or small, it's still a niche audience. And a niche audience is, the niche really is another way of saying an audience with coherent interests, right? Yeah, that care. See, see, that's the thing. If the audience that's consuming this media from this property, if they care about whatever that subject matter is and the way it's expressed, right, by that particular brand, then guess what? You have an idea not only of what products and services they're interested in, but also how to express it in a way that will get people interested. And see, and, and then you can make bets. And this is why I think, you know, in the world of podcasting, for example, you have situations where, by all reports, um, the brands that are advertising in podcasting, the ones, in other words, that are not waiting for the perfect metrics are finding some great success because here we have kind of niche shows with niche audiences, none of them particularly large in any you know relative sense, and um, they drive they drive sales. Yeah, exactly right. And see, that's the problem with this idea of accumulating all of these audiences and then dumping ads on on onto that. You, do you know what I'm saying? It's like okay, do, let me go get ten thousand podcasts and then I'll advertise this. Thing because look at all the eyeballs. No, yes, you, you missed the point. You're missing the whole point. Well, and that gets to the essence of programmatic advertising, exactly. right? Where they do exactly that and they say, wow, look how cheap you can now get all these people and how efficiently, because there's no middleman, et cetera, et cetera. It's exactly yeah, your it's point. It's cheap for a and reason. That's right. And it's, that's <laughs> right. And it's going to, right. It's cheap for a reason for sure. And that's going to come up in our second topic as well. But before we get to that, I just want to point out that between the lines of this piece that I just read you from Tech Dirt is really, um, the, the sense, I think, I mean, he says it in his last paragraph, we'll never even really know how many people read this. <laughs> <laughs> so some of what I'm getting from this article is this overall sense that you know, it's kind of Lucille Ball, wah. <laughs> <laughs> no. We can't monetize. We're too small. Please. Please, please help us. We're too small and we can't do it. Yeah, but his insights were spot on. Absolutely. Yeah. You are listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Tom, the road to hell is paved with page views. And boy, oh boy, did we have a good lead into this piece from the last discussion because this is really what this piece is all about. Um, it's from a publication called Traffic Magazine, a publication whose very name says to me at least, yeah, I don't think I want to subscribe to that. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to be stuck in traffic? <laughs> I, I just, just, I think it's worth telling the story. You sent me this link, and I went through, and I get about three paragraphs in, and it says, you can read the rest for free, but you got to give us your email. And I kind of said, ah, Tom, do you have this whole thing? Because I don't want to sign up for this. Listen, Mark, they don't check. you check. kindly sent it to they me. They don't check. I signed up with your email. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's funny. All right, so Mo Page Views, Mo Problems, and I think it's safe to say I like my title better. So I'm, I'm just going to touch on this. This is basically uh, from the perspective of, of I guess, uh, print media, publishing, and, and uh, newspapers. If publishers knew a decade ago how many readers they'd find online, they would have been thrilled. And I, I don't want to read all of this, but it basically goes on to say that um, they used to have not that much, then suddenly they had a lot and they were thrilled. And they went all in on this idea that advertising would save the day. They uh, engaged in clickbait. They were thrilled, thrilled, thrilled at the results. And, you know, millions of mm-hmm. people came to these publications digitally that never came in their uh, print versions. There was just one problem. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't monetizing any of it. Yeah. Um, Ken Doctor, who does a lot of work with these publications, said... 10 to 15% of visitors provide at least 75 to 80 percent of the value. This is, of course, our old oh, you know, one principle. manifestation, yeah. our old 80-20 rule. Yep. Publications currently trying to attract new readers might actually be better off focusing their efforts on getting more revenue from their core audience, both directly with subscriptions and indirectly through advertisers because of the failures. And the, the, the story he tells is really pretty stark of some of the publications that just bet it all on growth and tanked. And this relates to the the thing you said earlier in this podcast, Tom, that that sentence I just read could be read to say, hey, if you have an audience of whatever size, find out what that audience is interested in and give them more of that at a price that they're willing to pay. And if there's an advertiser out there that values what that audience values or sells what that audience wants to buy, Link those two things, right? Look, Mark, this I don't even know how long I've been saying this about stop going broad in trying to increase your audience. And if you have an audience, go deep and help these people with more and better offerings. You know, the assumption that these magazines and newspapers made when they went online is that the more readers they could get online, the more money they'd make. That was the simple mm-hmm. deduction, right? Mm-hmm. And they would do that mm-hmm. through what? Either more advertising dollars or convert a percentage of those larger numbers to paid subscriptions, I guess. But the mm-hmm. thing is, is that bigger isn't better if the prices and margins keep falling, <laughs> especially. Right. And here's the thing. Bigger is better if you, if you have a fixed cost and you, and you, you know, mass produce something and you can get these huge numbers and you make a tiny margin, but it doesn't matter, right? Because the numbers are so big that you're going to make mm-hmm. a bunch of money anyway. But this is labor-intensive custom work, reporting and writing. Mm-hmm. So, yes. so it doesn't matter if the prices and margins keep falling. And why are they doing that? Because the Internet killed this idea of exclusivity and scarcity. You know, in the case of digital media, there, <laughs> you think there's a glut of ad inventory now? It, it, it's just exploding, exploding. Mm-hmm. And curiously, there seems to be, and this is the thing I didn't see coming, frankly. I didn't see that there would be a lack of like brand passionate readers because mm-hmm. I thought everything would just create, a, it'd be like a niche, right? And it would just be thousands of these passionate niches. Mm-hmm. But But I think people's attention has broadened away from these niches because of Facebook and all the social sharing. So their interests don't run deep. Do you see what I'm saying? I I, I do, but I mean, the niches of history have been replaced by new niches, though, right? 
you have sites like Politico that I talked no, about I before. And, uh, so it's that, it's, it's that, you know, once the thinking was that, you know, if you're a longtime Cincinnati resident, you're going to be loyal, faithful uh, into the Cincinnati Inquirer because it's your local town paper. Of course, you're going to embrace it across all platforms, right? Yeah, but look, if you're getting if you're getting this news feed through Facebook with all these crazy links from all over the place, right? And all right. you're really doing is clicking on them because something interests you, and that interest doesn't run deep into that brand. Right. You skim that from you know all of these options, and you pick and choose without really any See, regard for the source. But this is the thing, because once upon a time in Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Inquirer was Google and Facebook all wrapped up in one. And now it is not. Right. And that the idea that that transition could have been made was um, <laughs> wrong. I mean, here's the thing. The sites like Politico can charge advertisers a premium to reach regular readers in part because they know more about them and than they do about Internet users yep. who follow a Twitter link to an article or two every month. In other words, the value is in the fans, not in the drive-bys. Right. Um, it's so interesting, and they talk about paywall in the six. You know, there was a lot of um, criticism uh, to the New York Times, or at least skepticism on the New York Times with their paywall. Jeff Jarvis said, "Quote: Content is now and forever free." He predicted its failure. And to a large degree, at the Times, at least, it's been quite. It's been very successful. Now, you know, I take issue with the term paywall because I think how you think about these things are really critical. And if you view something as a paywall, a wall between you and that which you want, um, that's a problem. But a subscription could be for membership, right? Oh yeah. And there's a difference between. For example, in the radio space, if you're talking about non-commercial radio, there's a difference between being a donor and being a member. A donor gives for something everyone else gets for free. A member gives for an experience that, that, that is bigger than the sum of its independent parts. Privileges, you know, the old American yeah, Express thing, membership go. has That's privileges. That's the exclusivity and scarcity component. Because if there isn't an exclusivity and scarcity component, if I don't have to exit the highway... To get something, mm -hmm. if everybody's going to put all their stuff right on Facebook's highway, why do I need? To, mm -hmm. Why do I need to exit? Well, and here's an example: the time, New York Times situation looks downright rosy in comparison in the two years since that internet report that you remember the internet report right. from a couple years ago that said we got to do this, that, and the other in digital. The paper has increased paywall revenue by almost thirty percent to about two hundred million dollars a year, upped its digital news subscriber base from. 799,000 to 1.2 million and added nearly, this is the part I like the most, 200,000 digital crossword subscribers. <laughs> this is a different subscription, Tom. I know. You can get a discount on this as a newspaper subscriber to print or digital, but it's a different uh, subscription altogether. It's $40 a year if you come in off the street and you're a crossword fan. So this is a way of, hey, our audience includes a lot of crossword fans. Let's give them what they want. Let's sell a subscription to that. It has nothing to do with news. It really has nothing to do with the New York Times. It has to do with the crossword, something that we're famous for, something that our fans are interested in, and that's part of the 2080 right there, right? That's exclusive. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exclusive. That's the point. Because if somebody, if in your Facebook feed, it says, check out the crossword puzzle, and you click it and go right in, and it's not exclusive, 
then why would you pay for it? And here it is. It sums it up this way. The mass media is now Google and Facebook and to a certain extent Twitter. Quote, you have to move to a model that says, who's our special audience? And if it's big enough, you monetize it, Dr. Kent Doctor says. That means tailoring ads to core readers as well as selling subscriptions. It could mean selling other products too. Quote, when you think about engineering a media company now, you damn well better figure out multiple revenue streams, Jim Vandehei from Politico says. He suggests a combination of, quote, sponsorships, events, high-end, low-end, and medium-end subscriptions and other services that you can provide because you have value through your audience that you can monetize. There it is in a nutshell, right? Well, we've been talking about this for how long, right? So, you, 21 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's it. Exclusivity is what drives profitability. If people don't understand that simple economic component, then they're doomed. Exclusivity and the fans that embrace that exclusivity, Absolutely. right? All right, Tom, it's time for rants and raves. What's new this week? Yeah, I don't think my rants or rave is, is too good. I think it's a rave, but it's, it's kind of rant-worthy. How too. to keep people tuned to the end of the show. There it is. All right, so this is a quick rave, I guess, about kind of playing around, having some fun, and just just doing silly stuff, you know, just having some fun. So there's this Apple accessory firm. They're out in South Carolina. They're called 12 South. So the mm -hmm. owner, how this happened, I don't know what he was drinking out there. It's probably whiskey. He comes up with this idea to create a scented candle as a <laughs> promotional item for his company. Because, you know, mm -hmm. doing Apple accessories, you know, and you would think, ah, well, let's do a candle, a red candle that smells like an apple. Nope. He has this hand-poured soy candle. It's labeled New Mac, and it supposedly smells like <laughs> the smell when you open a Mac computer for the first time. It's like Great. some strange aromatic formula that has hints of plastic and aluminum in it, you know, without being too clinical or lifeless. He says it has mm -hmm. hints of mint and peach and basil and whatever, <laughs> lavender, mandarin, sage. Anyway, look, word of this foolish candle spread through the Internet. By the end of the first day, because he's a hand-poured, the hundreds of candles he had sold out. Now he's working like crazy to increase production to make the candle some must-have holiday gift for all these Mac addicts, right? Are you telling me this is an artisanal Mac it's, candle? Is that what you're telling you didn't me? You use that word. We're going to get all <laughs> kinds of emails coming in now. But Mark, listen, another Mark, Mark Twain wrote, when we remember that we are all mad, the mysteries disappear and life stands explained. <laughs> so the lesson today is never underestimate the madness of people when you're trying to create something for the marketplace. I am so glad that was your rant rave because I've got something that is so spiritually akin to that. I almost thought you were going to use this one rather than the oh, one you used. Okay, but go for this it. This is related also to Apple. This, of course, we all know iPhone 7 uh, announced uh, like a week ago or whatever. Yep. And um, the main difference, or at least one of the main differences, is it lacks the little jack for the earbuds, right? It, it lacks that traditional earbud jack that we've been using for eons, it seems. And some people are freaking out about that. Well, there's another small uh, company, I guess that does uh, mobile games and apps in Greenville, South Carolina. And they were ready on the day the new phone was announced, and of course oh, the new phone had coming. no... Okay. They knew it was coming. So 
they introduced a really useful product. And you know how, you, for those of you who have older phones, like you and me, Tom, <laughs> we've got a phone that isn't the iPhone 7 at the moment. Nope. And we've got those now, you know, out-of-date and unattractive little holes in our phone built for those jacks. And wouldn't it be nice if there were something that were appropriate that would fill in that hole? First of and all, really <laughs> I can't see that hole. I can see the cracked screen on mine. <laughs> Don't harsh my buzz, Tom. So wouldn't it be appropriate if there was something you could just plug into that hole and cover it up so you wouldn't have to be humiliated in the presence of all the new iPhone 7 owners, right? Oh, so God. these guys created something they call the iPhone uh, plug. And uh, the idea of the iPhone plug is, is it's this beautiful uh, silver plug. Here it is. It says, um, <laughs> beautiful silver plug that this elegant silver plug that goes in to make that hole vanish, right? <laughs> That's the whole idea. So now let me tell you the whole story. So the company's called Nicer. Um, they had six Twitter followers and no products to their name. On September 8th, that all changed. They created the Apple Plug, a small device that allows iPhone 6 owners to fill in your archaic headphone connector with beautiful aluminum and plug yourself into the future. Apple Plug's release aligned perfectly with the announcement that Apple was removing the headphone jack, etc. The only thing is, the Apple Plug isn't a real product, Tom. Then we should Who do it. Who would have imagined? The team at Nice, that's the name of the company, allocated a shoestring budget to the product uh, project, $10 to register the domain, and some uh, good timing, some uh, beautiful but minimal photography... <laughs> <laughs> so, and and uh, with some great taglines, Apple Plug isn't just a pristine product. It's an essential part of showing others who you are. So their website, which of course went very viral, it helped their Twitter account grow to 1,500 followers, gathered 5,000 emails for the company's newsletter, and the uh, their SEO relevance got a big boost. And, uh, of course, they then launched their real products, which include uh, sticker packs for iMessage, and they plan to launch their first mobile game uh, titled Blocks in the next few months. So anyway, here it is. They newsjacked the release of the uh, iPhone 7 to announce a product that didn't exist so that they could in turn sign up fans for products which did, it did exist and they got a ton of publicity out of it. So there you go. That's the new, that's the new way to do it, huh? That's the new way to do it. Okay. So think about it. We've what can given we two launch? examples let's, now. Let's, what can we launch? We got to think about this. All right, yeah, because there's some. I know there's some big news items coming up. We'll launch something. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to come up. That's maybe we can engineer that. Yeah, that would be great. Then we can dissect it on the podcast. How successful we are! How amazingly successful we were! Let's do a candle, like I don't know, like a, a Trump candle. That's or been something. done. Oh, all right. Oh, you're talking about a different category. Oh no. <laughs> all right, no tech tech people are uniquely acquisitive. We've got to stay. Where the interest is. Okay, I have one other. And this is, I don't know whether this is a rant or a rave either, but Tom, as you know, uh, Brad and Angelina have announced their divorce. Um, you know, the, the, the internet is broken. Hearts are broken everywhere. Well, that, was a, you that was a big news item until Kim Kardashian lost all her jewelry. Yes. Well, <laughs> here's what you didn't know, though, that the divorce of Brangelina has consequences in the world of wax museums. Tom. I knew this was coming. How did I know this? <laughs> oh, don't tell me they pulled the statues out of Madame Tussauds. So, you see, Brad and Angelina were side by side at uh, Madame Tussauds <laughs> in London. Actually, once upon a time, Brad's figure 
stood beside Jennifer Aniston at Madame Tussauds in London, and then they divorced in 2005, and so did their wax figures. So Jennifer Aniston was shipped off to Madame Tussauds in the United States, and Brad remained in London, where Angelina Jolie later joined him. They were brought together uh, side by side shortly before their wedding, and they remained side by side ever since until last week. And just as they did when Pitt and Aniston divorced, the museum curators of Madame Tussauds pulled husband and wife apart. Their wax figures, quote, are now featured at a respectful distance from each other, end quote, a museum <laughs> spokesperson told the AP. The Internet continues to mourn, Tom, quote, too soon, end quote, one woman tweeted, too damn soon, quote, now we can begin the healing process, wrote another. Now, the thing is, um, right now, Robert Pattinson has been strategically placed between them. Oh, okay. <laughs> and someone tweeted, Robert Pattinson will sort out any trouble, someone else tweeted. So the museum said the only couples they've ever had to separate are those with one common denominator, Brad Pitt. <laughs> You know, if you don't get some sponsorship money from this Madame Tussauds, <laughs> they get more airtime on our show than anyone. <laughs> I'll leave it there. That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, <laughs> please rate the show. And if Madame Tussauds sees this, please rate. We've got to make sure we get some Twitter action with Madame oh, Tussauds. absolutely. It helps other folks discover us. You can check us out at art19.com, Radio Inc., <laughs> Media Village, Net News Check, and the American Market, Marketing Association. Tom, what's the word of the week <laughs> for anyone who's listened this far? Let's have it be um, Brangelina Wax. <laughs> Brangelina Wax. Okay, great. That's, make it, just make it a few more letters to make it more difficult, Tom. <laughs> You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. And don't forget, brand, hashtag Brangelina Wax. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a media topic you want us to cover, keep it to yourself. Catch up on older episodes at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. <laughs> Special thanks to the producer of Media Unplugged, who's on vacation now for two weeks running which is why the audio quality is so poor. Jeff Schmidt, exciting audio for media. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. He'll be back next week. Thank your lucky stars. <laughs> for Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you for listening. 